What does it mean to hope for the kingdom of God? Is hope for the present or the future? Or can it be both? What in the Bible helps us have hope for the future without losing concern for the present? And in our challenging world, how does hope help us both lament and praise? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Fleming, and in today's show, I'll be talking to Dr. Sam Trunter. Sam is a visiting fellow at Cranmer Hall, St. John's College, and will be taking up the role of Director of Postgraduate Studies at Cranmer Hall from August. And our question today is, how does a theology of hope help us live well today? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Sam Tranter, welcome to Talking Theology. It's lovely to be with you, Philip. Thanks for having me. Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself, your theology that you've studied and researched over the years, and what's brought you to this point, being on the Cranmer team? Go back to the very beginning. I'm, I'm from a, a Christian mission and ministry family, so I grew up in Asia and then around the UK with my parents and moving around in ministry. But I came to a deeper personal engagement with faith through a period of ill health, real ill health as a teenager. And then I sort of wonder what I would do with my life. I think I've found something of an answer for part of my life, at least. But what I wanted to do originally was to be a journalist. And I had a very exciting work placement on a local paper when a major event happened that I got to cover. But somehow it didn't quite scratch the itch. And I, and I decided when I was 16 or 17, not to study English at university, but to study theology to learn a bit more about my faith and to equip me for, I guess, ministry and service. So I ended up going to University of Aberdeen to study divinity as it is there, theology, which sounds a bit sort of Hogwarts-ish, but it was great. I had five years doing an undergraduate and then master's work there with a wonderful group of theologians who I learned a lot from, still learning from, and I also met my wife. And then I ended up a couple of years down the road coming to Durham for the first time to do PhD work in theology. And again, just a fantastic environment to study theology and and to learn from a different set of conversation partners, really. And then since then, the last couple of years, I've been teaching in theological colleges in the north of England, both on my home side of the Pennines in the northwest, but also in the northeast. I take my passport when I cross the Pennines. And then also, I spent a year in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia, teaching in a quite new theological college there, which is really exciting and challenging in lots of different ways. And now we are, yeah, we're heading back to Durham, which we're really excited about. Sam, one of the things you found yourself thinking and writing a lot about over the recent years, I know, has been Christian hope. Tell me, what was it that made you focus in on that particular topic as an area to study and research? I think it's a sort of combination of a few strands that sort of converged on this topic, which is sometimes how research emerges, I guess. So one thing that was hanging around, I was thinking about what I might research, was this question, how do we think about the relationship between Christian teaching, doctrine, and practice or ethics or the moral life? And also, why and with what rationale do we draw on certain teachings or doctrines when we come to certain areas of the moral life or of ethics? Because we seem to do it. I draw on doctrine of creation, how God created everything, quite instinctively when I'm thinking about the environment and ecological crisis. 
But I wanted to ask, why do we draw on certain things at certain points? And then also, and more specifically, if you like, I was interested in the theological basis for social action, for social justice work, and in evaluating the ways this was talked about within my own setting, which was mostly evangelical and charismatic. And in particular, I was curious about the way we talked about the kingdom of God, which is a theme in the area of Christian eschatology, teachings about the last things. And I wondered what we meant when we talked about building the kingdom of God and how that helped us and didn't help us understand what we were doing in a sustainable way. And then finally, the final piece that drew me to this was I was reading a British Anglican theologian, Oliver O'Donovan, and appreciating it a lot, but also just having this nagging sense that, to my mind, he couldn't quite do justice to the kingdom of God, in fact, in his practical work, if you like. So all these things came together and I thought, well, I'll, I'll think about this question of hope and action, or what does it mean to think about First Peter 3 to give a practical account of the hope that is within us as Christians. So why don't we explore that a little bit, that idea of hope? Um, why don't you talk to us, first of all, about the kingdom of God and give us a bit of an introductory survey to the way that's been understood in theology and why perhaps you thought that Oliver O'Donovan's account wasn't quite everything it needed to be. Yeah, so I'm not a New Testament scholar. I enjoy learning from New Testament scholars and hanging around with them. That's a great thing about Durham too. But as theologians use the term, they use it in lots of different ways. Sometimes the kingdom of God is a sort of transcendent reality which stands above current life, if you like. And there theologians might remind us that the kingdom of God is at hand, as we read in scripture, but not in hand, right? We don't possess it. It draws near. So this is the kind of sense that the kingdom stands over and against our current situation. But then also the kingdom of God is used in a sort of future sense as well, right? A sense of forwards or towards rather than just above. It is the goal to which human history, indeed all creation, tends or is drawn or is called by God. And that's caught up with other ideas about judgment and resurrection and other important aspects of Christian teaching. But then perhaps a third way in which kingdom of God is used, which can be related to those, but doesn't isn't always, is about a kind of quality of life or, or a character of relationships where the kingdom of God either gives or, or just is a way of depicting or understanding social and political life as God wills it. So that's, that's perhaps three different ways that the kingdom of God is understood by theologians. Oh, and sorry, I should go on to say about Oliver O'Donovan. So I think what I was nervous about with O'Donovan over time, and I should say he's a very, very subtle thinker, so to make any argument to that effect is quite difficult, but was that he was nervous about the way some people use the kingdom of God to generate a kind of social or political program. Um, so, you know, you might say, well, to take an example, the German theologian Jürgen Moltmann uh, uses this idea of the kingdom of God a lot in his theology to determine the shape of his ethics or his politics. And someone like Oliver O'Donovan might say, well, isn't it a bit isn't it a bit convenient that that vision of the kingdom of God that Moltmann has looks a bit like the German Social Democratic Party or something? Is this really coming from scripture and theology, right? And because of that, I think, and he may well be right, O'Donovan, but because of that, I've tended to think O'Donovan has reacted a bit far the other way and tended to think the kingdom of God is only ever, or, or is, is often, a damaging sort of influence in ethics or politics, which it certainly can be. But I think as Christians, 
we have to work perhaps harder to recover a positive sense of what its significance is. So with that in mind, let's go back to that question of hope. And again, just give us a bit of an introductory sense of what are the different ways in which hope has been understood in Christian theology? You've given us a great sense there of the way that the kingdom of God is understood in a range of different ways. Is hope understood in a sort of similar set of range of ways? I think so, because one's hope is in the object that you long for, you look for, you seek. So if Christian hope in the traditional sense is looking towards the future kingdom of God and the consummation of creation, perhaps even the vision of God or what's called the beatific vision, then it's a future-oriented sort of a thing. Um, In more recent times, if I think of the social gospel movement in the United States or other sort of activist understandings of the kingdom of God, then hope is for a more just state of affairs in the here and now, in history. And what I've wanted to say or what I've been learning to try and say is that you can have both or that because God is both drawing us and history to its conclusion, to consummation, and cares very much about the here and now, hope for one and hope for the other are not mutually exclusive. So Karl Barth talked about our little hopes, if you like, which are for just sort of development or or improvement or relief of suffering in the present or, or ministry in the church in the present, and then the great hope or the big hope of consummation. So it sounds like what we hope in or how theologians think about hope is in a sense determined by how they think the kingdom of God is, whether it's transcendent, high above us, whether it's future, something we're working towards, or whether it's something we can access in the here and now. And and therefore that hope is, is it a hope in a better and immediate future or is it hope in a better and a long term future? Can you take us back, therefore, to the kind of biblical resources or theological resources that help us identify what's positive about both those senses of hope and both of those senses of the kingdom of God, that which is the future and that which is in the present, if you like. What, what's the theological justification for both of those? Uh, absolutely. So I think it's a really exciting thing to think about and explore. I think you see it all through scripture. So you see it in the prophetic texts of the Old Testament. They are longing for, they're foretelling, they're sharing pictures of the future hope, the messianic kingdom if you like but precisely on the basis of that are they challenging injustice in the present are they calling the people back to holiness back to a walk with god and i don't think they see those as an either or and then in the new testament i think in the teaching and ministry of jesus you see precisely both he's teaching about the future there's different ways new testament scholars understand that but precisely on that basis the kingdom drawing near is jesus's ministry one of healing and deliverance And then if I think about St. Paul, I think about the way that 1 Corinthians 15 or something, that great text of hope in the resurrection, it is future oriented, but is in a letter which is about addressing pastoral concerns and church concerns in the present, about very concrete, material, embodied, social types of things. So I think there's that both and is something that scripture can teach us. And that's the reason why I want to hold both. And what are the reasons you think, Sam, that theologians have gone one way or the other, if you like, have jumped either side of the ditch? They've either sort of looked at justice, the future sense of hope, as you say, the end things, the sense of hope, the eschatological, or or the more immediate, the sense that we hope this society is going to get better. What are the reasons, I mean, you refer to Jürgen Moltmann and Oliver O'Donovan's critique, that it all looked very much like the Social Democratic Party of Germany. Can you give me a sense of why theologians have jumped one way or the other? 
my sense is that, if you like, within mainstream theological conversations in the 20th century, coming from conversations in the late 19th century, the move has typically been to be nervous about the invocations of the future, right? To say with some accuracy that someone portraying a vision of pie in the sky when you die can mean a lessening of concern for the present, for suffering in the present. You know, can mean those in power telling those without, well, it's okay, just get on with it now because eventually there will be that fulfillment. So there's a legitimate critique, if you like, of what you might call false consolation, right? That kind of settle down, it'll be fine, get on with what you're doing in the brokenness of history. So I once read Reinhold Niebuhr, who had been a social gospel enthusiast in his youth, but changed his perspective to what he called Christian realism. He literally writes somewhere, we have been through this business of the kingdom before, by which I think he means we tried to run our social programs through this vision of the imminent kingdom of God in history, making things better. But we've seen that it doesn't always work and it's more challenging. We need to be more realistic. So I think that's been the main swing, if you like, a nervousness about how hope is misused. But then also more recently, theologians have been reacting very strongly for some good reasons against American fundamentalism, to put it bluntly, with the Left Behind series visions of the rapture or of everything burning up. And therefore, to caricature, you don't need to care about your emissions, you know, whatever your carbon footprint, because Earth's going to hell in a handcart and we're going to get out of here. So in reaction against that, I think theologians have wanted to say it really matters here and now. And again, I just wanted to say, yes, that's all right. That's all important. Those are all ways in which parodies of hope exist in Christian conversation. But we can still hope in and through and beyond those things. We just have to be careful how we say it. So what you're describing is a theological trend which is more focused on hope as a prophetic challenge to the present rather than a eschatological reality. That's the trend that we identify because of the temptation just to focus on pie in the sky when I die. What are the things that can enable us to have an articulation of that future hope, that eschatological hope that nevertheless connects with the present? In other words, how can we articulate and think about and imagine that future hope in a way that helps us still engage if that's what you say the prophets did, if it's what Jesus did and Paul did? How how can we do that? Well, I think one way that that's happened in recent theological conversation, which you might associate with Maltman, or especially with Tom Wright, has been to represent and republish as central the hope for the resurrection of the body and for the new earth, right? New heavens and a new earth. And I'm sympathetic to that in as much as sometimes in the tradition, the hope for consummation with God has tended to downplay some of those aspects i don't think it's neglected it as much as some people think but it's tended to downplay them so that's one part is seeing how god's plan in christ is cosmic has implications for the healing and the perfection of all of creation and that's one way that that link gets made but i've also wanted to think that if you like those other aspects of biblical eschatology including the vision of god including hope for seeing god face to face In fact, as we sing them in worship and we long in prayer for them, or we learn to do that, in fact, shape our affections, our emotions, and that shapes our moral life. So they're caught up with a range of Christian virtues and dispositions of which hope is one. So again, I think having all the aspects of Christian hope in play shapes us as the kind of people able to both act in the present and have a long-term view. 
because ultimately that hope for God, that hope that God will bring the kingdom, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, your kingdom come. I think that keeps us going. So among those Christian virtues, in the fruit of the Spirit, for instance, I would pick out patience as one which is connected to Christian hope. And patience, which is key at a time like this, actually, patience keeps us going when the going gets tough. And when causes fail that we associate with the kingdom of God, the ministry initiative or church plant or the the social action or political party, when they fail, I think hope keeps us going that action in the present is still worthwhile because there is that longer view of history and ultimately beyond history. So patience is a key thing there. We'll come back to that, I think, in a moment. You talked about those two ways in which the future hope has been freshly articulated. One is very much in line with Tom Wright, who argues very much, as you say, for an embodied new creation. So he argues strongly against heaven as the place we go to as we die, but rather as a new creation, as he puts it, hope of life after life after death. And this kind of cosmic perspective of a new heaven and a new earth more wonderful. But you also mentioned that some of those themes we pick up in Revelation 21 about seeing God face to face, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. What are the ways in which we can nurture both of those disciplines, that sense of the new creation being richer and more cosmic than we thought, but also how can we can nurture those affections that hope is also about looking forward to seeing God? What are the things we can do? Mm. I think one thing we can do in liturgical settings, in informal worship, is just expose ourselves to that range of texts. Even within verses in Revelation, at the end of Revelation, you have a kind of kaleidoscope of pictures. And within the whole biblical imaginary, there is just a shifting set of pictures of the kingdom of God and consummation. And keeping them all in play, I think, helps us to round that out. And ultimately, there's also this sense that we have these pictures given to us and we can meditate on them, but none of them quite capture it, the reality. Right? We do not know what we will be, as scripture says. So also realizing that we're not nailing it down whenever we meditate well on one of these things i think singing i've thought about this a little bit but i think singing produces hope in us you could study that psychologically or sociologically but theologically i think that's really important we sing together to god as we walk together along the way of the christian life as we journey together through the world this notion of the pilgrim church which is not to say that the church is not thoroughly in the world but it's set on a route somewhere on a journey somewhere so singing is probably a really good practice So that we need to make sure that we're not just singing about the present or what's God done in the past, but what we're looking forward to in the future. Is that right? I think that's right. And again, not to the exclusion of the other of God's mighty acts, as scripture puts it. I'm absolutely not trying to say that Christian faith is all about the future. Christian faith is set in this tense time between the times, the meanwhile, if you like, between what God has done and what God has promised God will do. And in the midst of that, God is meeting us. So theologians think of Fleming Rutledge, great American preacher, talks about Advent. And we think about the advent of Christ in the incarnation, which is, in a sense, behind us. We think of the second advent of Christ in his future coming. But we also think about that everyday perpetual advent of Christ to us in word and sacrament, in prayer, in praise, and in our neighbor. So that, you know, sometimes, at least for me, in my Christian life, imagining how we are placed in time between those advents is is helpful. 
You've talked about hope keeping us going and what you've articulated today is about, as you say, understanding where we are in time. And hope is about understanding where we are in time in the sense that this time that we're in is not the only time there is. There is future time and there is past time and God is filling both. You talked about hope keeping us going and you mentioned particularly about this time. What do you think the exercise and practice of hope has to say to us living in a time of much uncertainty in a a coronavirus pandemic? Well, that's a very difficult and, and deep question. And I would just, I'll try, I can try and sketch a couple of ideas, but I will not get anywhere near the bottom of it. One way I've tried to think about hope's contribution is by thinking about three aspects. And I think all of these are relevant at the moment. One is a sort of critical contribution. So where we see injustice, where we see suffering, where we see challenge in our lives and the lives of the people around us, in the lives of the communities we live in, and globally, we look to the kingdom of God and we look to our present and we see a huge disjunction and a huge gap. And I think the response to that can be righteous frustration and anger. It can inspire us to work to change, but it can also and it should be lament. And scripture is redolent with the language and the tonality of lament. And I think, you know, in that sense, hope teaches us to sustain lament. But then also, if that's the sort of critical function, for want of a better word, of hope, there's a sort of constructive one. I've said I'm a bit nervous about talking about us building the kingdom of God. I think we can participate with God in what God's up to. Sometimes we know what we're doing, sometimes we don't. But the constructive thing is about, in little ways, through the ministry of the church and the service of the world, assembling these small reminders of the kingdom of God or these pictures of the kingdom of God. You know, whenever we see service in a small way or a large way as Teresa of Calcutta would remind us we see a glimpse of the kingdom of God we see a glimpse of a life lived for the other and ultimately for God that's a sort of constructive one and then the third one is this sort of doxological one or this praise one which we lament the injustice and the brokenness we work in our small ways to help to serve and then we praise God all the while learning always as beginners, I think, all the different ways in which we can praise God, the one who you know, has done great things for us and promises great things and asking, might you do great things in the present for us to save us? We talked about hope giving us, enabling us, if you like, to have a critical perspective, a constructive perspective and a doxological, a praise perspective to glorify God. Which of those do you think is most challenging to do at this time? Well, you know, it's supposed to be three C's, right? So the doxological perspective should be, as I've written about it, it's a celebratory perspective, which I get from Rowan Williams. And I didn't say celebratory because we celebrate, I celebrate care workers and the NHS at the moment. I celebrate when and if politicians make wise decisions. But there's, sometimes it seems like there's not a lot to celebrate when I read the newspaper, listen to the news. But praise of God, doxology isn't just about celebration. And that, you know, there's a sense in which just coming before God in praise isn't always happy clappy. And receiving from God the gifts God gives us in praise isn't always about outward happiness. It can be about a deeper joy or it can be about just keeping going in the next hour and day in service. So, Sam, we've thought a little bit about those different perspectives to hope, the critical, the constructive, the doxological, the praise. 
I wonder, as you've found yourself thinking and praying about this, researching and studying about it over the years, how's it found expression in your own walk as a disciple, in your prayers, in your worship and in your witness? That is a big question. And again, one where I would just underline that I'm a beginner. So one of the reasons I came to studying this is because I thought, I'm not quite sure how to understand some of the scriptural material. I'm not quite sure how to speak of it to others, to speak to people who are suffering about the hope that we have within us and do so in a sensitive, responsible way. I would say one thing that I have held on to through ups and downs is this sense that trust in God, trust in the God of hope, as Romans calls our God, enables us to give up. And this is a kind of of discipline, really, and it's hard to give up a sense of grasping for ultimate control for control of the way things turn out, whether that's within our own lives, you know, whether it's within a working day or a working week, whether it's within the political life of our country, whether it's within broader movements, to give up that grasping for control and to work faithfully in the present moment. So one thing that hope gives us, I think, is it sheds light on the steps immediately before us. Because we have such a hope, we act boldly, Scripture says, and just to act to venture in action, if you like, in history, in the next moment, as faithfully as we can. In some way, bracketing out some of the questions which crowd in, at least when I think about what I'm up to. And what does that feel like from a prayer that you might pray there for in the light of that sense of living with that hope of, of not having to grasp for ultimate control? One of the great things about being an Anglican, I know that other traditions do this in lots of other really rich ways, formal and informal. One of the great things about being an Anglican is that we get passed on to us a way and a shape and a rhythm of prayer which helps us live in the moment or ought to help us live in the moment in light of our hope. So we start the day turning the day to God and asking for that light on our steps and blessing on our work. And we might pray during the day if we remember and if we've got time. But we can pray at night time as well. And Compline, our night prayer, is this very eschatological, kingdom-oriented set of prayers, actually. We contemplate our death in it, which is a stunning thing to do every day, really, isn't it? But in it, we lay down the work that we've done and we commit it to God. Again, we give up that control over its outcome. We hope and we trust that it will turn out well. But we hand it over to God and we ultimately we commit ourselves and our souls and those we love and those who love us to God. So that's one way in which... I think hope is actually shot through the Anglican tradition of prayer that I'm continually discovering. That's a great place in which to end our discussion of hope today. Sam Tranter, thank you very much indeed for appearing on Talking Theology. Thanks for having me. It's been great to chat. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cran Mahal is a theological college within St John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com.